John 13, 34, and 35. This is God's word for us today. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Will you pray with me? Lord, I don't believe the words we just read are complicated. So I will ask you, please, help us love you. Help us to know your love for us. And help us in Christ to love one another in obedience to your commands. That's what we ask you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Some words are easy to know what they mean. Some words are difficult to define. If you see a square, you know what it is. I'm talking about the shape, right? Four-sided figure. All four sides are of equal length. All four angles are 90 degrees. It's a square, right? That's a square. A mile is an easy thing to define. You know, if you know what a mile is, you know what a mile is, right? A mile is 5,280 feet. That's a mile. But other words are more difficult to define. And it might not be because you don't know what the word means. It might not be because you have no idea about the word. But it's just a hard way for you to say, I don't know how to put that into dictionary definition words, right? You and I both know what the word sour means if you refer to a flavor. But do you think you've got a dictionary definition in your head for sour? Most of us don't, right? We, we know it when we taste it, but, but we couldn't say, ah, oh, it's this. And of all the hard-to-define words that there are out there, I don't think that there is a single word that is more often used and more poorly defined than the word Love. Think of how many songs have been written about love. Even the ones that the band who's singing will tell you, we don't know what love is. Well, last week we saw a commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Jesus echoed in Matthew 22. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. We are to love God with everything we've got. But if you don't know what it means to love, you're going to have a hard time obeying that command, aren't you? In the message for today, Jesus is going to speak to us about love among Christians. And again, I would say this, we need to know what the word means if we're going to obey the command. Now, this message is not about me giving you a dictionary definition of love, but it's about a bigger picture of what it looks like to love one another in obedience to the commands of Christ. But I don't think I can do well for you without giving you at least beginnings, right? What is love not? Well, love is not, as many might think, an emotion. <coughs> True or false? You with me so far? Love is not an emotion primarily. Now, does love contain emotion? You betcha. But it is far, far more than a feeling. 
Love is better understood as a deep, abiding, powerful commitment to another person's good. That's a better understanding of love. A deep, abiding, powerful commitment to another's good. When we love God, we desire to honor God. And we are committed to doing those things which would honor God. A mother who loves her child is deeply committed to doing that child good, genuine, lasting good. And the reason that the world around us is so messed up when they think about the word love is that the world around us does not have a genuine concept of sacrificing for the genuine eternal good of another person. The world thinks love is about me getting a feeling from you. But the Bible says that love is about me giving my life for you. So this morning, let's take a look at the command that Jesus gave to his disciples, that they love one another. And in the process, I want us to answer some important questions that I believe the reading this command should bring to our mind. And hopefully in the process, we'll learn a little more what it means to love. Now this is not part of one of our regular sermon ongoing series, regular ongoing sermon series I want to take a moment to make sure that you know the context here. John chapter 13 depicts for us events happening on the night when Jesus was betrayed in the upper room. So Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. He has washed his disciples' feet. He has sent Judas out into the night. He has predicted his coming departure from the disciples. And in that, Jesus pointed to his rapidly approaching death on the cross. And it's in that context that Jesus tells his disciples he has a new commandment for them. Jesus commanded his followers to love one another. About that command, D.A. Carson says, quote, The new command is simple enough for a toddler to memorize and appreciate, profound enough that the most mature believers are repeatedly embarrassed at how poorly they comprehend it and put it into practice. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. End quote. D.A. Carson was right. We understand what it means to love, and yet we don't. It is easy to love, and yet it isn't. But regardless of whether it is easy or not, if you and I are going to live out Christianity, we need to have a solid handle on what Jesus is commanding us to do. So let's look at the command here, and I want us to have a few questions in mind. What makes the command new? A new command. How did Jesus love? Love as I have loved you. What will it look like for us to love one another? How is the world going to see this love and know that we belong to Jesus? And what if we don't have this kind of love? Those are the questions that we will seek to answer uh, as we go through the text this morning. So question number one. 
What makes the command new? What makes the command new? Again, the text says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. When Jesus commanded the disciples, love one another, let me ask you, just think about it. Does that sound to you like, boy, that's a brand new command? No one had ever thought of that one before. I think at first glance we say, no, not at all, there's not. This isn't new. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as what? You guys already knew, didn't you? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not new, is it? That sounds like an old command to me. In Matthew 5, uh, 33 to, or 43 to 48, listen to Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. This is years, a couple years before Jesus gives this new command in John. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That sounds kind of lovey, doesn't it? From a year or so earlier, maybe two years earlier? Or Matthew 22, 37 to 40, just the week before, right? D during the Passion Week, a few days before Jesus gives the command. Says he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's Jesus' week of. So the concept that God commands you to love other people is not new, right? You with me there? Because, like, when I said that to you today, you didn't go, oh, God wants me to love people? <sighs> Who knew? Neither is it new to hear Jesus himself teach the disciples that they are supposed to love. So that's not new. So what is new? It's in the last line that Jesus said in verse 34, Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. See, it's not that the command to love one another is new. Rather, it is that the command to love like Jesus is new. So what does it mean to do something like somebody else? You could love like I loved you. What does it mean to love someone like that? Or what does it mean to do anything like another person? It must mean that you do it either in a similar way or that you do it to a similar extent as to the other person, right? Does that make sense? If you're going to do something like me, you either do it in the way that I do it or to the extent that I do it at some level. Let's take that up as we answer the second question. Question two is, how did Jesus love? 
We know what was new, love like Jesus. So that leads to question two, how did Jesus love? And again, remember, Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus' command is new because it's a command to love one another as he loved us. Or if you're the disciple sitting in the upper room, the context says Jesus is telling you guys sitting around that table, you are to love each other the way you have already seen Jesus love you all up to this point in his ministry. So then the question must arise in your mind, how did Jesus love his disciples in his ministry? And the place in John's gospel where you see John talk about Jesus loving his disciples is actually in verse 1 of chapter 13. If you're still looking at John 13, you could glance up to chapter verse 1 and you could see John say, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus loved his disciples to the end. How did he do that? Well, chapter 13, one thing Jesus did was he washed his disciples' feet. He lowered himself in order to serve the disciples. He lowered himself and gave the disciples a model of service to follow. And he pointed the minds of the disciples to the ultimate act of service and humiliation, the cross itself. And it's in the light of those things that Jesus tells the disciples, you are to love each other like I have loved you. Now, is there any biblical evidence for the case I just made that the sacrifice of Jesus, that Jesus is lowering himself and humbling himself to go to the cross, is there any biblical evidence that that is intended to depict for us the love of Jesus? course there is. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or John 3, 16, you guys know that verse, right? For God so loved the world. How did God love the world? That he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, have eternal life. When Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he was pointing them to the fact that he would make them clean through his act of ultimate sacrifice, ultimate humiliation. When Jesus told his disciples in verse 33, just one verse before our text today, that he was going somewhere they couldn't follow, he was pointing to his death. And it was in the light of Jesus washing their feet and pointing to his death that Jesus commanded his disciples, you guys love each other like I am loving you. So how did Jesus love? He loved his disciples by willingly laying down his life as a sacrifice for their sins. He loved his disciples by being so committed to their good that he was willing to let go of his own rights. All of his rights, all of his comforts, all of his earthly prestige, he let go of in order to do good to those he would save. Jesus put the, the, the good of the disciples, Jesus put the good of folks like you and me, he put that above 
his personal safety, his physical health, his life itself. Didn't he? Jesus loved them by demonstrating for them the perfect love of God. Now Jesus didn't just do this to offer the disciples their best life now. The, the pleasures of this particular age. Jesus' love was aimed at leading the disciples to worship him, to believe in him, and to be saved by him. Jesus sacrificed so that they would be saved from their sins, so that you and I would be saved from our sins. Jesus died so that we would be saved to glorify the Lord. The ultimate love of Jesus was intended to lead the disciples to an embracing of the glory of God in Christ. So maybe part of the answer of what makes the command to love one another new is that love had never before been understood as so self-sacrificial, so extreme, so committed, or so focused on the worship and the glory of God. Think about what the disciples, if you were an early disciple of Jesus and he said, love one another, what might you think when you hear that command? Maybe you think of love as an emotion, as a fondness. Be fond of each other. Okay. Maybe the disciples knew love was more than fondness. Maybe they knew it was self-sacrificial. But do they really think it's self-sacrificial to the point of death? Maybe they knew that love was self-sacrificial, perhaps even to the point of death. But did they understand that the goal of self-sacrificial love to the point of death is so that we might glorify God? See, ultimately, the kind and extent of love as the disciples understood it had to change when they laid over the word love the, the rubric, the paradigm of Jesus and what he did in his love. That changed what they knew love to be. So how did Jesus love? He loved by making and keeping a commitment to others and to their good. Is that true? Did Jesus make a commitment to you and me and our good and then bring it to pass, even to his own hurt? Yes, okay. Jesus loved how? He, he humbly sacrificed everything for those he was doing good, right? Jesus loved them by going to the greatest extreme to accomplish this good for those he loved. Jesus loved by making the goal of his love the goal of demonstrating for the disciples the glory of God. Jesus' love was self-sacrificial. It was committed out of commitment, not just out of fondness. It was self-sacrificial. It was committed. It was extreme. It went to the point of death. And it was God-focused. Jesus' love was self-sacrificial, committed, extreme, and God-focused. And this 
is how Jesus commands you and me to love too. Third question. Third question. What will it look like to love one another? Again, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So it's not enough for us just to know these are the ways that Jesus loved. Jesus commanded his own to love like him. So let's step into the present a little bit. We know what Jesus' love looked like. So start asking yourself, what would it look like for me to love my fellow Christians at PRC or if you're part of another church and hearing this at your own home local church, what would it look like for me to love my fellow Christians in my church in a way that looks like Jesus? Now, obviously, you cannot die for other people as a sacrifice for their sins. Only Jesus could do that, because only Jesus is the perfect God who came to earth and lived a perfect life and could do that work. But you can't love like Jesus sacrificially, extremely, out of commitment, and with a Godward focus. Can't you? To love sacrificially means you will willingly give up things that you want or even think you need so that you can do other people good. To love to the extreme means that the love that you give, the sacrifice that you make, it's not limited to what is easy or comfortable. Jesus, Jesus didn't call us to love a little bit. He called us to give like he gave, and he gave it all. To love out of commitment means that your love is not based on your emotion. Your love is not based on your feeling. Your love is not based on your fondness. Now, your love for others should include fondness. Your love for others should include a development of kind feelings toward each other. But your love for each other cannot be based just on how you feel. Commitment is the key. And to love with a focus on God and His glory means that your love for each other has to be regularly expressed in ways that help other people to understand and to rejoice in the goodness, perfection, awesomeness, and glory of God. Listen to this explanation of Christ-like love from Paul. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The call is clear. That was Philippians 2, 3 through 8, if you want to write it down. The call is clear. Love sacrificially. Love extremely. Love out of commitment even more than emotion. And 
All this love, if you love, focuses the one you love on God, points them toward Christ, points their hearts toward the glory of God. Okay, those are still kind of abstract thoughts. It's kind of like defining sour, right? How do we picture this, though? What are some concrete ways you might show the love of Christ in the church? First, let me suggest that you make this a homework assignment. Start a list. Don't you think you could brainstorm a little on this? Start listing answers to this question. How can I show love like Jesus toward my Christian brothers and sisters at PRC? That love should be self-sacrificial, extreme, committed, and God-focused. How can I show love like Jesus toward my Christian brothers and sisters at PRC? Such love should be self-sacrificial, extreme, committed, and God-focused. Let me give you some hints on how you might start your list. Ask, where could you sacrifice for others? Where can you sacrifice your preferences? Where can you, where can you put the likes and dislikes of others ahead of yours? Where are you tempted to complain about others? Where are you tempted to complain about how things aren't going the way you want them? Where can you give to the extreme? Can you give more of your talents for the good of the church? Do you have a skill? Do you have a gift that might help somebody in the church that doesn't have it? How can you find a way to give of your skill? Even, even, if, you're, even if you're busy, even if you're tired. Let me just check because I want to be sure. I, I may have read us wrong. How many of you are busy? How many would say, nope, not me, I am never busy? That's not, see, we use the word busy to describe normal life anymore. How do you sacrifice for others' good even when you're busy? Might have to change priorities. Where can you love from commitment? So, so where can you show love even when you do not emotionally feel like loving? To whom can you demonstrate love even when that person is not exactly like you? Maybe, maybe even they're not exactly your type of person. Trust me, if you're going to love me, you're going to learn to love somebody who is not probably your type of person. I've got issues. Who might you love by offering them your forgiveness? How can you love by pointing people to the glory of God? Who might you love by just talking with them about Jesus? Who can you love by graciously confronting them about their sin? 
Who can you love by sharing the gospel with them? I would suggest that you start making a list. How can you love like Jesus in our church? What would it look like for you to love like Jesus in every aspect of your life here? Would your time at Sunday school look different? Would your attendance at Sunday school look different? Would your attitude in the worship service be different? Would you volunteer for the nursery? Would you hang around longer after a service to be sure that you talk with people that you don't really know so you can show them love? Would you make sure that you were in one of the fellowship groups so you can learn, get to know somebody you don't already know? How would the things you complain about be different if your whole goal is to let go of your own preferences so that you can exalt the glory of God and the preferences of others? With whom would you eat lunch if you wanted to show the love of Jesus? Start writing a list, folks, and don't stop until you've got a better picture in your own mind of what it looks like for you to love like Jesus. Then, guess what? Start doing it. Start loving like Jesus. All right, two more questions left we need to answer in verse 35. So question number four, how will the world see this love and know we belong to Jesus? How will the world see this love and know we belong to Jesus? What does verse 35 say? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, everything Jesus has said so far about loving in verse 34 is a love that is to be expressed inside the church. This is supposed to be disciple to disciple. And Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, love one another like I have loved you. This is stuff you and I are supposed to practice in our lives with one another in the church. But then Jesus goes on to say that our loving one another is somehow going to mark us as followers of Jesus in the eyes of a lost world. How? How does our loving one another like Jesus mark us as the people of God, as the followers of Christ? And I would say in simplest form, we need to realize that what we do must by its very nature look different than what the world does. There is a clearly discernible difference between the love that the world displays to one another and the love that Christians, when they're loving like Christ, display to one another. And it's all about Jesus. So what's going to look different in the way that we love as compared to the way that the world loves? Sometimes it's going to be the extent of our love. People in the world are willing maybe to sacrifice a little bit of their comforts for the benefit of others. We need to be different. We need to be more sacrificial of our comforts for the good of others to a greater extreme so that we can show how our love is different than the love that the world thinks that they experience. Maybe the motivation of love is a question, right? People in the world love primarily for selfish reasons. If you're, if you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, you might think I was very judgmental there. But trust me, at the end of the day, your goal is either for your happiness or for the glory of God. And it, there's really not going to be a middle ground. People in the world love primarily for selfish reasons. They love because they want people to like them. They love because they want to feel good about themselves. They love because they want to feel better. But we love Christians. We love if, because we want to point other people to God. 
So ask yourself, why is it I'm showing love? What is it I want when I love this person? Does it look different than worldly love? And our love is going to look different in kind than that of the world. Most people in the world will not give up themselves or their comfort or their position or their rights or their time or their money in order to love other people. They might love, but they tend to do so when it's convenient. We need to be a body of such extreme lovers of one another that the world would look at us and they would say, oh my goodness, there's something different about those people. They love self-sacrificially. They love extremely. They love out of commitment. They love for the glory of God. So how's the world going to see that kind of love? Well, some folks will see that kind of love when they walk in and they meet us. They should see that we do have a genuine fondness for one another built out of that commitment and out that self-sacrificial love. And the fondness that we have for one another is not out of common interest in things of this life. That fondness, it doesn't come out of the fact that we are necessarily people who would naturally even like one another. The fondness comes out of the fact that we, if we know Jesus, are all part of the family of God. There should be a clear understanding to anybody who meets us that we care about each other, that we prefer each other's more than our own preferences, that we sacrifice our desires for the desires of others, and that we do it all out of commitment to Christ and to one another. It's just true. If we love like Jesus, we're going to look different than the rest of the world. Our love is going to be different in kind, and extent, in motivation, in expression, in everything. People should see you and me, and they should mark us as those folks belong to Jesus, and they love each other better. Now, is that true of you? When people look at you, do they say, man, She loves people in her church in a way that's well beyond anything I've ever seen. He loves people in his church in a way that's beyond anything I've ever seen. Is that true of you? Fifth question. What if we don't have this kind of love? What if we don't have this kind? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, all people are to know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If having love for one another, Christ-like love for one another, is a mark of genuine discipleship, then not having that kind of love is a frightening thought, isn't it? If we do not have a mark of genuine discipleship, something's missing. Maybe it's something missing in our understanding of faith. Maybe there's something missing in ourselves. I'm going to give you two things that we should think about if we feel like we lack the kind of love Jesus called us to. One, if we lack that love, the world will not see us as Jesus' disciples. Right? And if we lack that kind of love, it's possible you're not his disciple. Let's go to the first one. If we lack Christian love, the world will not see us as having anything different than what they have. 
How many times have you heard somebody say, I'm not going to church because they don't like church people? Church people are mean to each other. Church people are nasty to each other. They're a bunch of gossips and hypocrites. Right? I still love when Mark Dever said to a lady one time, you know, I'm not going to the, any church because it's just full of vipers. And Dever said, you know what, that's true. We've always got room for one more to slither in. <laughs> if you say you won't attend church because you think the people are mean and nasty, that is a sinful excuse for you to ignore the things God has commanded you to do. But that person's sinful excuse is also probably based on something real. They probably really didn't experience Christian love in a local church. They probably saw people who were not loving each other like Christ. And folks, if we want to be effective in reaching out to the lost, one of the things we need to do is we need to be sure that even as we think about reaching out to the lost, we are deeply committed to loving one another as Christ loved the church. Second possibility, and this one's frightening, folks. If you lack Christ-like love, it is possible that you may not be a disciple of Jesus Christ at all. Let me read some scripture to you, okay? You just listen. You can write the references down if you want, but will you just listen? 1 John 2, 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. 1 John 3, 16 to 19. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So I ask you, do you show Christ-like love for your fellow believers? Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to do a better job? I think we can see that it's important, can't we? Were those verses enough? There are more. Let's repent anywhere we lack Christian love. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's repent of that, okay? And let's, let's change how we love. Let us be committed to each other's good, living sacrificially to the extreme for one another and always pointing each other to the glory of God.
But I guess there is also the possibility that you know, you know you don't have the love of Jesus in you. It may be that you realize that you're not a genuine follower of Jesus. What, what if you have not actually been forgiven by Jesus? What then? Can I remind you of the love of Jesus? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus showed his love for others by humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Those are all parts of Bible verses we read today. And they all tell about the love of Jesus that you can have. Listen, dear friends, all of us are created by God. All of us have value in the eyes of God, but all of us have rebelled against God. We all deserve for God to punish us for our sin, our violation of God's perfect, perfect standard, His perfection. We, you've never been as perfect as God, and therefore we all deserve punishment. God knew if He leaves us to ourselves, we have no hope. But God had an eternal plan. Jesus came, God in the flesh. Jesus lived as the only perfect man ever to walk the face of the earth. Jesus died as a sacrifice, substituting himself for the sins of others. Jesus rose from the grave and he defeated death and he promised life to everyone who would ever come to him for mercy. And here's the good news. Jesus commands we turn away from living in sin, turn to Jesus in faith, and come to Jesus for mercy. Repent and believe, and you will be saved. If you don't have the forgiveness of God, repent and believe. Know that you need mercy. Know that Jesus is the only hope you have. Decide, I'm not going to fight against God any longer. I can't. I hate the idea of fighting against God. And then trust your entire hope for your entire eternity to Jesus and Jesus' finished work. Now, how's that love? Jesus sacrificed his comforts. Jesus laid down his rights. Jesus set aside his own glorious time of worship in the presence of the Father. He set that all down so that he could live and die to save the souls of everyone who would ever come to him. He died to do us good that we could never do for ourselves. And he offers us the benefits of his death as a gift. He offers us life. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us adoption as children of God. And if you don't have the forgiveness of Jesus, I urge you, repent and believe today. Be overwhelmed by the love of God for sinners like you and sinners like me. Bow, ask God, give, you, give me your grace, please. Repent, believe, and be saved. And then you know what? You will end up giving God all the glory because it's only the sovereign, heart-changing love of God that brings sinners like us to experience His salvation. And as you give God the glory, as a brother and sister in Christ, love one another like Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you again for your word. I thank you again for your mercy. I thank you for the love of Jesus. I ask you, help us love. 
just like Jesus showed. Help us love freely, sacrificially, out of commitment, extremely pointing people to your glory. Lord, don't let the conviction of this word leave us until we repent. Bring about repentance by your Holy Spirit and make this church the most loving church one to another that this city's ever seen. And make that be a sign to the world around us that we indeed are the disciples of Christ. And make people long to be a part of this family through Jesus. Be magnified, God. Save souls and grow your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.